0: This is a special presentation of This is What Democracy Sounds Like. Today, we are featuring part one of the Metropolitan Congregations United Annual Meeting, recorded on July 19th, 2020 over Zoom. Good afternoon,
1: everyone. Welcome to the public meeting for Metropolitan Congregations United. I am Reverend James Ross. And I have the honor of serving as pastor at Pilgrim Congregational United Church of Christ here in St. Louis. And I also serve as president of the board of Metropolitan Congregations United. As many of you are aware, MCU is a coalition of faith communities, community groups, and individuals working with residents and others to identify and solve some of our community's most pressing problems. Most significantly, we invest in leadership development and grassroots organizing to build the power and the skills necessary to make sure that public policies benefit the common good. Ultimately, we are in search of the realization of the beloved community. We focus on the issues that are important to people alongside whom we work, live, worship, and play. Our Break the pipeline. Our work is is working to transform discipline policies in schools. We have earned in Missouri a $12 minimum wage, and we passed the Clean Missouri Bill. And this fall, we will win Medicaid expansion, and we also will preserve the Clean Missouri Bill. And now, as we begin our time together, I ask that you join together for a moment of prayer as we begin our public meeting. God, we call you by many names and we know you in many ways. And yet through it all, we are glad for your presence and for the ways in which you show us that you are yet with us. We are thankful for the ways in which you have demonstrated that you are in solidarity with us as we have worked to build power and to work for the good of all of your people. And now God, we come to this time when we will talk about strategy, when we will talk about tactics, when we will talk about all that is necessary to continue to move forward, to do the work of building a more just world that will lead to your beloved community. And now, God, in whatever way we know you, we ask that you make yourself known to us yet again today. Surround us with your presence. Remind us that we have everything we need to do everything we need to do. And we will be careful to you give you, to give you praise, honor, and glory. It is in the name of all that is love, all that is power, that we pray. Amen. And now, in this time together, we will talk about uh, our theme, the ballot and the lynching tree, and we will ask for commitments from the faith leaders who are who are gathered here, as well as from each of us. And now, I want to welcome the Reverend.
2: Dr. Ben Sanders to help us begin our time with a reflection. Uh, Good afternoon, I wanna thank my my friend and brother, my colleague, uh, the Reverend Dr. James Ross for his gracious invitation. Um, I am thrilled to be serving on the board of MCU and to learn more about the sacred work that this organization has been doing um, since I got to St. Louis back in 2015. The goal of this meeting is to remind us as we live through this historic confluence of COVID-19 and American racism, that the work we're doing to protect the right to vote and to ensure participation in an equitable democratic process is indeed sacred work worthy of our lives. Even now, the highest offices in this state and in this country are determined, and we can see it almost wherever we look, to show us that black life will only matter as a means to white supremacist progress. We are gathered today to reject this lie. We've come together because even now the voice of the divine urges us to press on for freedom and justice. Before we discuss today's theme of the ballot and the lynching tree and the work that lies before us, I thought that we should first acknowledge that we're pressing on right now in the work of freedom and justice in a historically difficult moment. We're organizing y'all for change and resisting state oppression in the midst of a global pandemic. And that pandemic is taxing our social and emotional resources in ways that are unprecedented. And so as we open, I just wanna invite us to be mindful of our breath this afternoon. In moments like these, It's crucial for us to be honest with ourselves and others about how we are doing and how we are feeling. Even if we don't have time for lengthy exchanges on this call, it's crucial that we're we're honest with ourselves and that we prioritize self-care because one of the trademarks of white supremacy is allowing humans to labor and suffer with little to no acknowledgement. And so we resist that. Friends, in this moment, as we gather to press on, it is okay if you find yourself laboring with significantly less fuel. It is okay if you're finding yourself in need of more or new or different kinds of rest so that you can show up to work in whole and healthy ways. Family, it is okay, it is even okay to not be okay right now. It's okay if you're finding yourself at the end of your wits or with your faith seeming to waver. Regardless of how you are feeling right now, it is okay, and you are not alone. You are invited. We are invited to be fully here, just as we are. And we are reminded that where we are right now, in this moment, wherever we are, is right where God wants us to be. Perfection is an illusion designed to keep us from productivity. So don't try to be perfect. Just be here. You are loved and you are necessary. You are loved because God created you and you are necessary because the work that lies before us as an organization is greater than any of us can complete alone. So please family, take a breath as we press into the work God has given us. As COVID-19 challenges the entire planet, American racism has no plans of sheltering in place. And so we need us and we need to take care of us, period. Gone are the days of working ourselves to death. Instead, as we continue to work for liberation and justice in our region, let us decide instead to work ourselves healthily and holistically toward life, to the life that God intends for us. To begin today, I invite you to reflect with me on two symbols, two symbols that have deep social and historical implications for our work, namely the ballot and the lynching tree. In this moment, when the need for new elected representation at the local and the federal level level is painfully clear, and so much of what America calls public safety continues to be practiced in ways that lead to the killing of black people, many of us find ourselves exhausted, just exhausted, as we try to live at the intersection of COVID-19 and anti-Black racism that goes back to at least 1619. We gather today as we are living through a moment that has challenged and changed so much of what we knew as normal. So much has changed since COVID started spreading across the globe, but even as the coronavirus infects the planet and brings the socioeconomic structure of the American empire to its very knees, American racism persists. As historic protests go on, as Black, Matter, as Black Lives Matter yard signs pervade, and as historic statements from large corporations go forth, it is clear that this country remains imprisoned by a structurally racist way of being that continues to strangle the life out of Black and poor communities every single day, even now. That is how endemic racism is to American life family, even as masses of persons and companies confess that black lives matters, which of course we knew already by the way, but thank you. Even as that goes on, the cops who killed Breonna Taylor walk freely because the system lacks the moral, legal, and spiritual courage to label the killers of black people as murderers. The yard signs say one thing, but the ethos of American society says another. And so our work is not done. So let's look at the ballot. At the heart of any democratic society is the ballot, the vote. The vote is sacred because the foundation of democracy rests upon the belief that the nature and laws of a society should be determined by, by, by assessing all of what the citizens believe, all of what we want. In a democracy, a committed, disciplined, insightful, and creative majority, even a small majority, doesn't have to be a huge majority, a small majority earns the right to lead the society in shaping its future. In a democracy, the ability to compel even a small majority to lend their sacred ballots to supporting a particular societal vision, say one where Black kids are not funneled from their schools um, as young children to prisons, a society like that, we build that society by amassing just a small majority. And so our ability to do that, I would argue is more valuable than silver and gold. The ballot is sacred because it is the space where we lift our individual and collective voices to shape the future that we want to live in. When we vote, we declare that God has made us free and that we intend to express our freedom in ways that give voice to the passions and viewpoints that have shaped our lives, our experiences, and those of our elders and our ancestors. When we don't vote, whether because we opt out due to hopelessness or or because we are kept from the ballot by voter suppression, democracy is impossible. And the best hopes of our ancestors remain unfulfilled. Our ancestors' hopes included the radical idea that we could live in a society where we were allowed to tell the truth and be included. The political practices that have stripped us of that right and of the right to vote in a society. Uh, The the same social and legal practices that justify killing our babies are directly linked to and perpetuate the racism that poisons our communities. The system will continue to serve and protect the God forsaken lie that the same cops who kill us are necessary to keep the public safe, as long as we do not exercise all of the power that we have inside of a democratic society and change the deadly traditions that have shaped our lives. As many of you know, the lynching era ran from about 1880 to about 1940, and about 4,000 black people were killed during that period. This is a period that emerges after the Civil War. It's a time when black people are, are in historic ways pursuing their social and political destiny, and it is no mistake and no accident that we see in that moment, not just the destruction of black bodies, but the use, friends, of voter suppression to keep black people in their place. If we think about the fact that during the lynching period, we have the destruction of black bodies functioning hand in hand with the repression of of the black vote. uh, We see that what we're facing today um, is not new, not in any way, shape or form. It has simply shape shifted. And so we have to continue resisting. We have to continue resisting because if we don't, if we don't, we will miss the fact that while not all lynchings included trees and the hanging of black bodies, the practice of suspending or detaining black life in order to keep us uh, in a white supremacist-controlled place, we will miss the fact that that's deeply etched into almost everything we know how to do as a society in America. Jesus knew and knows this very well. He knows this because uh, he, Jesus knows what it's like to be suffocated by a system in which the powerful, mouth pleasantries about order and tradition, while you and the people you love suffer and die. Jesus knew this, he knew this because he was crucified. And because he was crucified, Jesus knows that to be lynched is to be suspended. It is to be detained and it is to be suffocated by the violence of state power. So when we recall that the practice of lynching and the practice of suppressing the vote have worked together historically, we should be able to see why uh, uh, um, issues like protecting the clean act of 2018 run directly into and intersect powerfully with the work that we're doing to expand Medicaid. After all, if they can keep us unhealthy, if they can keep us um, locked out of a democratic process uh, through which uh, we can change the, what it is to, to, to police in our society. If they can lock us out of, out of the society and convince us that we are stuck with police who equate killing us with keeping us safe. If, if they can do that, then we have no hope. But we have hope and our hope is based on nothing less than the one who came to teach us that God stands with us even when the state is against us. Mm -hmm. It's hard right now, friends, but can you see it? Can you see here in this moment where the ballot and the lynching tree converge, where the destruction of our bodies and the silencing of our voices comes together to make sure that America never changes? Can you see at that painful, powerful intersection, can you see right there that Jesus is meeting us and reminding us that these same powers tried to silence and suspend him too? And if you look more closely, friends, you will see beside Jesus, our ancestors standing Our Lord is standing with our people and together they are saying to us, take heart family. They have tried this before. They didn't defeat us then and they will not defeat us now. Even from here, family, let us press on.
1: I wanna thank Reverend Dr. Sanders for that powerful reflection as we begin this time together. Uh, What better framing of our time together and of the um, imperative of this moment do we need? And so with that, I want to just invite uh, Tracy um, Stanton to come forward at this time.
3: Hi, again, my name is Tracy Stanton. I am a leader with Expo St. Louis, which is a task force of MCU's Break the Pipeline campaign. The goal of that campaign is to end the school to prison pipeline in Missouri. And I know all about that pipeline very well, although I was not directly funneled to prison, um, but inadvertently. I came from a broken home. Uh, My father was addicted to drugs. I experienced physical and sexual abuse, traumatized by witnessing death, experienced different levels of PTSD from the violence in my neighborhood. I acted out, I turned to drugs. I needed help, I needed therapy. I needed to be healed just like the children do. Um, that are funneled from the prison, from the school to the prison. Um, The systematic racism that has plagued our country and and deprived our communities of the resources that we need to have a fair chance at life. The ethnic cleansing that caused by the saturation of drugs in our community, the redlining that robbed our right to build wealth, that dismantled our family structure and killed our spirit. Mass incarceration is a modern way to suffocate the black life. Every child that is locked up and is not in class every kid that is in dys every person that is banned from the right to vote so with expo st louis we're currently working on a campaign to unlock the vote um there are over thirty thousand people in missouri that are excluded from the electoral process because they are deemed second-class citizens um ripping us from our right to vote which is just an extension of mass it's just an extension of the jim crow all the times that they have killed our spirit as African-American people. And we already know that the majority of the prison population is composed of people of color. We we represent 13%. Of the general population, but 35% of the statistics in mass incarceration. So right now, we're currently working on this campaign to allow us the freedom, to allow us the same rights that we have to um, to, to contribute to society. Um, statistics shows that when you are able to come home and uh, and become a citizen again, right, by having your right to vote, although you're you're supposed to pay taxes and be a pro- productive member, but they tell you that you're a second class citizen because you don't have that right that everyone else has. I came home um, from prison, and I was able to make a, a, a dramatic change in my life because of community, because I was able to express my civic engagement, because I was able to use what my experiences to contribute to what I'm doing now. There are millions of people um, in the United States that are robbed of that same benefit because they are on papers for 10, 15 years when they come home from prison. Now, although you have paid your debt to society you're still told in this way that you're not a part of that you're not a part of this world that you're not a part of this community that you're not a part of this society and this is something that has been going on um in in the united states since we all were robbed from our culture and robbed from our from our uh place of home since since we arrived so um unlock the vote. it's not only the responsibility of the people that uh, are on probation and parole, but it's the responsibility of the whole community and the world at large, because we all understand that redemption, redemption and resurrection comes from God, right? And um, being a part of this organization has not, and the other organizations that I'm a part of, because I'm also a part of um, the Bail Project, where I now get to go and help people that are um, being, subjugated because they don't have the money to pay for um jail because we all know that that's another that's another way to keep people locked and confined um not because they have even been charged with a crime but because majority of times they're african-american and because they're poor that's something that this country has definitely attributed to over the course or the span of our life so expo in st louis missouri is dedicated to helping the people that have been incarcerated, that are coming home with the ability to become a citizen and gain their right to vote. So again, I thank you all, and I will hope you would join me in this fight um, to help this campaign move forward and restore the voting rights and the humanity to people that are subjugated by this um, society that we live in. Thank you all.
1: Thank you, Tracy. And, and we are grateful for your words. and for your testimony, and we're going to ask that we, can, w- that we will move forward with um, our next speaker at this time.
4: Hello, everyone. My name is Cheryl Fikes, and I come to you today to speak to you about the need to pass the amendment to Medicaid expansion bill. Like me and many other workers, working families, we need to pass this bill so we can have quality health insurance. Many years ago, this bill would have done me a lot of good. I had to choose between making um, some money that would support my family or getting my son kicked off of Medicaid. I had to take a pay cut just because of the fact that if I took the more money, he wouldn't have qualified. And he has health issues, so that was not a good thing for myself or him. I don't think anyone should ever, ever, have to choose between taking care of their family, paying bills, doing activities, or having health insurance with their kids because of the amount of money that they make. Amendment two, Medicaid expansion, would give lots of families in Missouri a choice to have health insurance. It would also give them the choice to have hospitals near their area. I truly, truly hope people understand the need for this bill and vote yes on Amendment 2, the Medicaid extension. I thank you for taking your time out for, uh, to hear my story.
1: Thank you so much for your testimony. And um, I think that we're going to now um, focus on
0: uh, the importance of CLEAN. Delaney Johnson. 17 years old, I wish I could be running with you in this upcoming November election, but I won't be able to. I will be able to vote for the first time in this 2021. Today I'm going to be sharing a message with you to inform you on the impact that Amendment 3 will have on me and the future of Missouri. If Amendment 3 passes in November, children from the ages of newborn to 17 will not count when Missouri does its redistricting. In 2018, some elected officials were misled by those who prefer jury-mandated maps and those who oppose Clean Amendments. Some thought that fair maps would result in Black districts such as St. Louis and Kansas City losing their representation with the Clean Amendment overwhelming passes in every state Senate district. Well, if this new Amendment 3 passes, it leaves out 22% of the state's population and over average of Black, Latinx, and Asian American Missourians that are younger than their white counterparts. Amendment 3 seeks to undo voter-approved redistricting reforms to replace with the brand-new systems that unlike anything that Missouri or any other state has ever seen. For example, I'm a a student-athlete and scholar in Ferguson, Florida School District. Could you imagine if the athletic director in one of the three schools went to the school board and persuaded them to map out all the areas where all the athletes live so that next season... So, the next season, that school would basically become a powerhouse and be dominating, basically. And then, or could you imagine a guidance council trying to get out of all the neighborhoods where historical high test scores come from and all the scholars are, so that way that school can have a better outlook during the scoring in the state? That's jury mandated. Now, imagine. Now imagine this, basically putting it in perspective. Now, what if all the same schools did, all the same schools in this district did that for the next 10 years based off the current students at high school, knowing that in K through 8 they have more Black, Latinx, and Asian American students in K through 8? If passed, that's what Amendment 3 will do to its voter population in Missouri. Amendment 3 uses language like we're looking for people that vote. The people that can vote are the ones that are counted, and those who are not registered voters will not count. In other words, it would be the voter, instead of it being the voters choosing their politician, it would be the politicians choosing their voters. This way, politicians can stay in office in non-competitive districts and become potentially pass laws and budget that they want without very much resistance. Every state in America, including Missouri's constitution, uses the total population of each state for their legislative redistricting. The concept of the citizen voting age and popular radical and popular radical department from the federal one-person, one-vote rule is personally used in the United States. People like Thomas Hef Hoffler and the Grand Architect of Gerrymandering wrote in 2015 a switch to use the citizen's voting age population as a redistricting population base for Redistricting would be average of non-Hispanic whites. If Amendment Three passes, we risk the chances of policies and negative that negatively impact my generation, my community, my family, my vote, and my future. While the more, while the three fifths, the three fifths compromise of seventeen eighty seven is no longer in effect in passing. The passing during the passing of Amendment Three, it will open up Missouri up to extremely biased and possibly even more policies, laws, and budgets that negatively impact Black communities, Black Latin, I mean Latinx, and Asian Americans in Missouri. When I'm able to vote in 2021, I want my vote to count. I want it to be equal. I want it to be equitable. I want my representation as any other Missourian would have. Thank you for allowing me to share this information with you. Again, my name is Jelani Johnson. I'm 17 years old. I wish I could be running with you in this November upcoming election. Who will represent me? Thank you. This has been Part 1 of the Metropolitan Congregations United Annual Meeting. Part 2 will be published on August 4th, 2020. For more information on MCU, go to mcustlewis.org and find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you for listening.